Back to throw Fitzpatrick. Throwing high into the air. Got it. Parker touchdown. What a win for this Miami Dolphin team. Wow. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network covering your Miami Dolphins each and every day. How's it going, everybody? Happy Monday. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, a very meaty episode. We're talking Dolphins depth and players that I can't wait to personally watch in training camp, plus players in the top 10 at their position in the NFL, playing the best round of golf in my life, and an absolute banger of a song that I've had on repeat all weekend. All of that and more on this Monday, July the 13th edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. So I did get back out to the links again for the third time in the last three years, and I shot a 90, feeling very good about that, about being a bogey golfer just three times out in the previous three years. But I still feel like there's a lot more room for improvement there. Even think I could have shaved off maybe five strokes off that score. I was just piping the ball off the tee and with the long irons. But when I get into finesse, short shot range, short chips and putting, well, that's where I got to get some work in. Probably spend about six months doing that. But it's tough because if I don't make some money quick, my grandma's going to lose her house. So it's a tough spot out there. And speaking of underappreciated movies or TV shows, is Happy Gilmore underappreciated? I think it is. I don't know. I was talking with a friend and fellow Dolphins fan over the weekend about our hard knock season back in 2012. And there were plenty of fun moments from that show, like the introduction to the man's man, Dan Campbell, for screaming at Michael Agnew. We had Jarrell Root and all of his personality on the show. But among all the great stories, one little line from that five-episode saga really stood out to me, and it came from Ocho, from Chad Johnson. One thing I always appreciated about Ocho was his attention to detail and really focusing on the small things that add up to make a big thing. All the small details really do matter. And he had this line where he's kind of walking and talking to himself on the practice field. I think it was before practice, trying to get himself mentally right, going over the reps mentally in his head. And he was murmuring a mantra of sorts to himself, just kept saying quick, but not in a hurry, quick, but not in a hurry. And that got me thinking about a current Dolphins receiver who I spoke to last week for an interview that was outside the scope of football on the field. And it sparked an interest to go back and watch his tape and his game. And it led to the conception of a little segment idea on, I don't want to say underappreciated players, And the more I thought about it, the more I realized I think that's the wrong way to phrase it, the wrong way to cut them, because we can appreciate what these guys bring to the field, but they were ultimately guys that I am just super intrigued to see what they can do on the practice field in training camp now just a couple of weeks out, and also how these guys really contribute to how much depth this team has compared to previous rosters of the Miami Dolphins. So on top of developing several players, I think, last year that now look like long-term solutions for your Dolphins, whether it's Eric Rowe going from a one-year prove-it deal with Miami to an extension in season, or Devontae Parker breaking out in a big, big way, and more on him later in this podcast, or Preston Williams and Nick Needham looking like real players in their respective UDFA rookie years, Mike Gesicki really hitting big strides in year number two, especially down the stretch late last year. Whatever it was, 
I think there was also a glut of players that develop a strong core that allows this team to take a more focused approach in the coming off seasons ahead. This offseason, we had resources and used those to simply get better on the football field. Coach Flores talked about that in the scouting com- or at the scouting combine rather back in February about signing players, drafting players, trying to accumulate good players. That is always the idea. And the Dolphins, I think, did get much better, at least on paper, because remember, Flores also says games are not won in March and April. And he's right. Of course they are not. You have to go out and put it out on the field on Sundays in the fall and the winter. But with all these resources and developed players as far as the incumbents go, you now have a chance to really narrow that focus. And what do I mean by that? Well, I'm going to reference another episode of my favorite podcast as we do here on Drive Time. It seems like once a week in the Move the Sticks podcast with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks on NFL Media. And Jeremiah, it was on the Patrick Mahomes episode after his mega deal, his mega contract, and how he would then focus his approach on the team around that contract given to their star quarterback, their MVP and Super Bowl MVP quarterback in Patrick Mahomes. And the first point DJ makes on that point is that he doesn't want to see his half billion dollar quarterback standing next to Big Red Andy Reid on the sidelines on crutches. And those were DJ's word. I don't want him on crutches on the sideline. So we're going to invest in the offensive line and in the top target and secondary target for this Chiefs team. And for the Chiefs, the two top targets are really indiscernible since basically Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey are both elite top end guys at their position. And then they're going to go ahead and roll through the other positions with draft picks and lower end free agent contracts. But that's where DJ would put the money on this team, on the offensive line and on the top two weapons of Patrick Mahomes. And it got me thinking about how the Dolphins team looks to develop a core and then take a similar approach as far as how you round out the 53-man roster in terms of what positions you might prioritize over others. Because if we come out of 2020, this upcoming season with I don't know, just throwing a number against the wall, 20, 25, maybe 30 true core players, guys that you know you can put on the football field and really trust that they're going to execute their job and do the right thing and make plays for you, then man, we are cooking with gas with another 11 draft picks next year, plenty of salary cap resources. So it got me thinking about this team's roster beyond the guys like Byron Jones and and Kyle Van Noy, and Tua Tungavailoa, and Austin Jackson, and Noah Igbenogany, and Christian Wilkins, your top dollar free agent guys, and first round draft picks, right? Guys that you invest the highest level resources into. And the inspiration for this was Isaiah Ford, which before we talk about his game on the field, we haven't put this into the podcast yet, but we did publish a story up on MiamiDolphins.com about his Be The Change scholarship fund that he launched back in June. And it was really cool to talk to Isaiah about his motivation to use his platform to make a difference in his community. So we have the story up on MiamiDolphins.com. Isaiah himself retweeted it for us, obviously. And I'm upstairs in my office working on Thursday with the link to the GoFundMe page open, just kind of refreshing it and seeing how much reach we got out of that interview and how we got to more people because of that interview and it was going good. I even sent Isaiah a message saying how happy I personally was that we were able to raise another couple of hundred dollars since that interview that had gone on the website 12 hours prior to that. 
And as soon as I do that, I refresh the page and suddenly his goal of 5K is blown away. It's all the way up to 8,400 after sitting at right around 3,400 before this one click where I hit the refresh, I see a donor of $5,000. And who is that guy? other than the guy that throws the football to Isaiah on Sundays and Ryan Fitzpatrick. And that was just, that was so cool. I was so thrilled in that moment and so happy to be such a part or, you know, a small part of such a tight knit organization and one that really supports one another in their, you know, ventures, both on the field and off the field as well. Just a really cool moment over the weekend with Isaiah Ford and Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now, as for Ford's on-field work, I love, love, love his 2019 story. He had just three pass targets through the first 12 games of the season, and they were all in that Chargers game back in week four. And Ford had a difficult start to his career just from an obstacle standpoint. He tore an ACL as a seventh round rookie in that year's preseason, and that's such a tall order for a guy to overcome, but he wasn't going to let those challenges dictate his future. You guys all know by now that I was down in South Florida as a member of the media with Locked On Dolphins for 10 practices last summer at training camp. And every single day, each and every day even, he worked with Fitz after practice on some routes, throwing some vertical balls, and just getting some extra work in. And it would stand to reason to me to think that extra work really helped develop a chemistry and trust because in the opening days of camp, throughout the course of training camp, you probably didn't have much Isaiah Ford and Ryan Fitzpatrick because Fitzpatrick was your first team quarterback and Ford was not running with the ones in camp. So he got that extra work in with the Dolphins quarterback. And I'm sure sure that helps develop chemistry and trust as any football player or athlete in basketball, football, whatever it might be, could probably tell you. Because as I continue to rewatch this 2019 season and I'm on the week 14 game at the Jets, Ford goes from not playing much early in that game to getting on the field for every single snap because both Parker and Wilson had to exit, unfortunately, with injuries. So all Ford does is see nine targets, three times his season total at that point, catches six of them, again, three times his total catches at that point as well, puts up 92 yards, and he would finish out the final four games catching 21 out of 29 passes, a very solid 72.4% catch rate for 234 yards, another really good metric at 8.11 yards per target, and 15 first downs. 15 of the 21 catches moved the chains for Ford, and four of those came on third down on the money crucial down. And he also had a huge catch in overtime against the Bengals to help set up the winning field goal in that game in overtime. And he looks like a trusted target with how he's able to pluck the ball when it's off of his body. One of the more challenging aspects of playing receiver, if the ball's not on your body and you have to kind of drop your head, which changes the angle and the hand-eye coordination and the sight of the football. Because as a baseball player, when you had a pop-up in the infield, for instance, I used to play catcher back in my very early baseball days, like in Little League and middle school all the way up to high school. And I guess this is really true of pop-ups on anywhere on the baseball field, but they want you to catch the ball over your head and not do a basket catch because when you do a basket catch, your line of sight then changes as you track the ball from up high and then you move your head down low to your waist to see the basket catch in. So anytime you have to change that eye line, that eyesight, it's going to have a negative impact on how well you catch the ball. And the same is true in football. If you have to drop your head or move it to the side, it's going to make the catch more difficult because it changes your hand-eye coordination, and the relationship between those two. So to catch the ball off your body is a long-winded way of saying 
It's difficult. And that video that I tweeted out of him running a dig route against the Jets, the ball's on his back shoulder because Fitz takes an absolute shot as he throws the ball and it impacts the flight of the ball. Ford has to make the adjustment and he catches the football for a big first down on the drive that put the Dolphins ahead late in the fourth quarter. So when the quarterback knows he has a bigger strike zone with that receiver, it's going to develop more trust. Makes total sense, right? So the metrics when he gets the opportunity, Isaiah Ford, are awesome. And I jotted down some notes about what I saw in his game. So this is where Chad Johnson's line about being quick but not in a hurry comes up for Ford. He plays any of the three receiver positions in 11 personnel when you got three receivers on the field. And he has a real calm approach about how he wants to set up his release and attack the leverage at the line of scrimmage. He's very patient, finds a way to square up the man in front of him, then uses either quickness or physicality to create that separation. We saw it in the Jets game. We saw it again in week 17 against the Pats with some crucial clutch catches in that game as well. And Coach Flores had some admiring words for the way Ford responded when he got that opportunity as well as praising Isaiah for helping communicate some of the checks and the offense in general towards the end of the season when they had some new guys in the lineup late in the year and then there's this quote from Fitz after that week 17 win in New England quote yeah it was huge talking about Isaiah's contributions sometimes we relied on throwing to Devontae outside and a lot of times we relied on working to the middle of the field I missed Albert Wilson a couple of times that I wish I would have hit him but he had some nice catch and runs and Isaiah the same thing I think as a quarterback when you have guys that you trust and you know they're going to do the right thing and you know they're going to make a play it makes your job a lot easier all those guys out there have certainly developed into that this year. Again, I said this the last few weeks about Isaiah Ford, but he's a special guy, a guy that you can just rely on in any situation, and he did a great job today, end quote. I mean, to take that entire blurb, not just about Isaiah, but about the entire Dolphins receiving core, for him to say that those guys developed into that, into trustworthy targets throughout the course of the season with Parker, Williams, Grant, Wilson, Ford, and Hearns making up really half of the Dolphins' current wide receiver room and all six of those guys having contributions last year who Fitz referred to on that particular quote after the Patriots game. That's just a lot of trustworthy, reliable guys in the receiver's room. And you feel good about needing any of them in a pinch if you do, because guys get hurt in this game. Guys are going to be unavailable at times. That's how football works. And that's not to say the other guys on this roster are not that. We just don't have the game day evidence to really show you that tangible evidence that we do have from the aforementioned six guys that Fitzpatrick mentions in this quote. And that's really how it is at so many positions, like safety, for instance. Maybe it's his build, but for the longest time, I wasn't really aware of how fast Adrian Colbert ran. He clocked a 4.49 at the scouting combine back in 2017, I think it was, and he filled in admirably for Bobby McCain at free safety and off the streets as a free agent, mind you, over the final six games of last year. And you see that speed when he's playing that deep center field role as we go into man or press man coverage where everybody's up front across the board and you have one safety 20-15 yards off the football. There's a play against the Jets again from that game where I tweeted out a video of it. The Jets go trips to the field side of the formation and again if you're new to the podcast the field side is the wide side of the field where there's more room to operate. The boundary is the short side and the camera doesn't show you Colbert on this particular play on the broadcast version because he's 20 yards off the football but on the all 22 you can see that he lines up on the boundary side hash mark 
And the way the Jets align on this play is to that field side where you have three receivers. The furthest receiver split out is the Z, and that's going to be a plus split on the outside of the numbers, you know, the 10-yard, 20-yard, 30-yard marker. If you're on the outside of that, that's a plus split. You then got Jamison Crowder in the slot and a negative split, which is inside the numbers. And then your Y, your tight end in line on the line of scrimmage makes up your three receivers there. You've got Robbie Anderson is the X to the boundary, the short side of the field. And Demarius Thomas is that Z in the plus split. So one of those guys, Robbie Anderson, is your speed merchant where Demarius Thomas won so many routes throughout the course of his great career with more physicality and short area quickness and route running. So Colbert aligns on the boundary side hash mark, the short side of the field hash mark, and just begins to gain depth immediately off the snap. And the structure of this call I thought was cool because Crowder is the guy you worry about here because he takes this inside release and he wants to run directly at Colbert and try to break a route off in front of him to make some conflict there. You always want to create conflict for the player the quarterback is reading and most times that can be a safety. But Miami caps off Crowder with a nice double team so that Colbert doesn't have to concern himself with that route and then you can just follow Sam Darnold's eyes deep to the target he wants to go to in Robbie Anderson, who tries to get vertical on Ryan Lewis to the short side of the field. So Colbert from the boundary side hash mark, short side of the field, he ranges over almost immediately reading Donald's eyes and gets his hands on the football, almost gets a pick, but Anderson turned into a defender on the play and breaks it up. And that's the ideal cut of what you need at a single high position, 20 yards off the football. Speed, instincts, range, ball skills, all those things. And that's where Bobby McCain's skill set comes into play. He starts in that role. You've got Eric Rowe doing all the stuff we've talked about down in the box, covering tight ends, even matching up in the slot or out wide when you need it. And then Colbert is there to provide you with just another guy you can put on the field and trust that he'll do his job the right way. Brandon Jones, a third round draft pick. You have expectations for a guy you select that high. Clayton Fedulin played with the Bengals last year in some sub package roles. The same is true of Kayvon Frazier in Dallas. You just feel good about any of these guys if you have to call upon them and get them on the field. And let's go ahead and read a quote from Coach Flores about Adrian Colbert. This is after that game against the Jets. Quote, he brings a lot of energy on a day-to-day basis. He's got some leadership qualities. He's been here for three weeks, and it feels like he's been here all year. He's smart. He's a really good teammate. It's important to him. He works extremely hard from a preparation standpoint. He's here early. He stays late trying to get the information correct. He's a guy who brings people together. It's been good having him, end quote. Another guy that earns high praise from the coaching staff and next on my list is Jesse Davis and his performance in December is where I want to focus on. He got an extension right before the season began back in September and has been praised for his leadership and the way he works. And I always find Davis's quotes really refreshing right in the throes of the most challenging portions of the season last year, talking about professionalism, showing up and putting in the work, getting better every day, having a bigger picture mindset as you attack every day with that professionalism and a certain level of vigor and respect for your own performance and the tape you put out there, all that stuff. And I got to talk to Jesse, who was wearing a Mariners hat in the locker room, by the way, post-game after the Bengals' victory because he's from Astoria, Washington, a small town up near Seattle. Go M's, by the way. And he talked about things at that interview, clicking for him a little bit in that Eagles game back in the first part of December and dealing with all those rushers that Philly has off the edge about dealing with the speed of those rushers and the scheme they want to play to get upfield. 
and really utilize that explosive first step to rush upfield and beat the tackle with that speed and some of those wide alignments the Eagles play because of those skill sets. As you'll recall, Matt Burke is there now on the defensive line coach and those guys, and he incorporates a lot of those same fronts with his edge rushers as he did with Cam Wake here in Miami a few years back and those wide alignments that really take advantage of a player like Wake and his explosive first step off the ball. And in that game, Jesse allowed two hurries and had no penalties. So Fitz didn't get hit by anybody rushing off of Davis, and he didn't push the team back with any mental lapses either. He would go on to finish the season without allowing any sacks in December at all. Clean sheet. He allowed just three hits in the month of December, which is five games, and a handful of hurries and only one penalty, just one foul in five games. A really solid month and a guy that you can depend on up front, Always available, a good communicator. I think Jesse really exemplifies the types of players and the types of people that Coach Coach Flores prefers on this roster. Here's a quote from midweek after the Colts win before the home game against Buffalo. It was November 14th. I think wherever you put him, he's going to be productive and play well. So right tackle, right guard, left tackle. I think he's going to go out there and give us his best effort. He's going to play hard. He's going to play physical. He's going to be tough. I like having Jesse on this team. I feel confident. I'm very confident in his ability. End quote there. So Ford, we have Jesse Davis and Adrian Colbert. Two more guys on my list here, and one of them is a linebacker. In fact, both of them are. The first one's Raekwon McMillan. As last year, he was pro football focus's number 15 graded run defending linebacker, just one spot behind Indianapolis's Darius Leonard, who had an all-pro berth in his rookie season back in 2018. And that was coming off the heels of the 2018 season for Raekwon, where over the final 10 games, he was the number two graded run defending linebacker on pro football focus in all of football behind Luke Keekley and one spot ahead of Bobby Wagner. Both two guys, in my opinion, are headed to the Hall of Fame one day. And McMillan had 45 run stops over that time. That was the most in football from week six through week 17. On top of all that, I just love to watch him defeat blocks and really play the game with a physical mindset, the way Flores loves this game played in between the numbers, in the box, physical, beating blocks, and making tackles. Now, finally, my last one for this list today is another linebacker in Vince Beagle. And though he does come down and line up on the ball, in addition to playing some linebacker. So he's really just a defender, a defensive player on this defense. He led the team last year in pressures. I've talked about his spin move, his relentless motor. There's a play in the Colts game up against Brian Hoyer and that Colts offense last year where he disrupts a flat route, a tight end coming across the formation. He bodies him up and throws him off his pattern, which forces Hoyer to go to the other side of the formation, the other side of the field and look for a target. And when there's nothing there, Hoyer decides to tuck it and run for the chains and Beagle sees the entire thing and chases him down from the other side of the field and makes the stop short of the sticks. It was my favorite hustle play of the entire season. And here's a quote from Coach on his November 15th availability talking about Vince Beagle after that Colts game. Quote, Vince, he's tough. He's smart. He loves to play. He's got good play strength. He's still developing in a lot of areas, tackling pass rush coverage. He can do a lot of things. I like Vince a lot. I think he's brought a lot of energy, a lot of effort, a lot of enthusiasm. I think he plays the game the way it should be played. He loves to play. He gives maximum maximum effort on every play. It's been fun having him, coaching him, and watching him improve and get better. I think there's a lot more room for improvement for him, end quote. So Flores giving some praise and also offering up some improvement there 
for his linebacker slash defensive end. And one of the questions I get most is who will start or who plays the most on this team this coming season. And the truth is that not even coach knows the answer to that question. So who am I to give you answers on that question? We got to get through camp and see where we are at that point before that discussion becomes anything outside of just pure projection. We always have our favorites, right? But there are so many parts to sort out here. And I think that was by design. We talked about the three-man rush packages back on the Friday podcast and the variety of guys you can put on the field to rush the quarterback. Vince Beagle is one of them. His former college teammate, Andrew Van Ginkle, one of them. We know what Flores and staff thinks about Jerome Baker. Kyle Van Noy was signed to do a little bit of everything. Kamu Gruje-Hill, same idea. You've got Shaq Lawson and Emmanuel Ogba, whether you call them ends or linebackers, and Curtis Weaver. All these players that were added there. Landon Roberts, a true linebacker. All these players added. The point goes back to the same thing we've said about the wide receivers on this podcast. There are so many capable players that are now in the mix giving you what? Depth. You feel good about any of these guys if you have to call upon them. A 53-man roster focused depth, depth, depth in a game where it's a complete war of attrition for four months over 16 games. Beagle is a guy that can play a lot of positions, a guy that can rush from multiple spots. We saw him fall into the curl zone and snag an interception off of Eli last year with a really nice play in that week 15 game. He finished out the year with 34 pressures And remember that he was a September arrival last year and only had two 14, 7, 10, and 14 pass pass rush reps the first five games. So a part-time player. But then after that, he was a consistent 20-plus pass rush guy starting in that Week 7 game against Buffalo. And from that point, over the next four games, as he has 20, 25, 28, and 34 pass rush reps, increasing each week, he winds up with a total of 16 pressures over those four games and 34 pressures on the entire year. And guys like this are why I just can't wait to get down to training camp. Sure, I want to see how Devontae Parker goes up against Byron Jones or Xavier Howard, all the premier matchups we're going to have on the marquee this coming training camp, but it's the way the 53 takes shape in totality that really intrigues me. I can't wait for that, man. So we are just about two weeks away from the from July 28th, the rough starting date of training camp. And on the topic of Devontae Parker going back to the receiver room, I also have a note on his game that I finally was able to put into words. Watching him do his thing in that Eagles contest where he just went nuts, his true breakout game for my money. First, his December five games was 26 catches, 507 yards, five touchdowns. And remember, he exited the Jets game in the second quarter. You extrapolate that over a full 16-game season, and you've got a pro-rated production amount of 83 catches, 1,622 yards, and 16 touchdowns. Not bad, huh? But the reason I wanted to dive in was because the new debate about the value of contested catches. It kind of reminds me of the running back value debate that was sparked five, six, seven years ago by analytics people in football, which is a good argument to have. But this new one that I saw is contested catches. And while I think in college, you might have a little bit of trepidation from people and scouts over a high volume of contested catches because maybe it means the receiver isn't creating consistent separation against competition in college that he should be. But this is the NFL. Being open by a yard is 
open. That's how you how it goes when you're going up against professionals on the other side of the ball as well. And a high contested catch rate is simply another tool to measure a player's abilities. So I wanted to figure out what it was that made him so special at plucking these balls that would normally be considered 50-50 balls, but last year became way more of an advantage for the offense and Devontae Parker. And I found a common theme among those catches. And it wasn't just this season. It's been his entire career. You go back to 2015 against Baltimore in his rookie season. He does it in that game on a post route. Then a very similar route on a game the following year in 2016 on a touchdown against the Cleveland Browns. Again, a post route in the front of the end zone. He did it on opening day before the true breakout season really occurred this year. Again, against Baltimore. But this was my take. He has a tendency to use his frame to his advantage. He's aware of that advantage of the size and athletic ability combination, two traits that will put a receiver into the first round of the draft, just like Devontae was back in 2015. But he finds this way to really innately elevate himself into the defender and often leaves his feet what looks like it's early, but then he suspends himself in midair, throwing his body at the defender. And because of his frame and leaping ability and long arms, the defender then has to try to reestablish an advantageous position very quickly. And the only way to get through the ball is to go through Devante. So Devante is playing the ball and all of a sudden the cornerback or the guy in coverage is forced to play through his body. It's so subtle, but my goodness, he perfected it last year. Watch the catch he made for a touchdown against the Giants against DeAndre Baker. That's like a prime example of it where he just falls into the defender, reaches up, plucks it, scores a touchdown. It was beautiful. So Devontae finishes fifth in the NFL in receiving yards and tied for fourth in touchdowns in the NFL. And in that Jesse Davis quote from Coach Flo, Flo talks about it being a production business. So fourth in yards and fifth in touchdowns seems pretty good to me, right? And that's the topic I want to close this podcast on because ESPN is releasing some really interesting lists where they pulled 50 or so people from around the league, executives, scouts, coaches, I think some players involved in that as well. And they took top 10 players by position and showed the players overall rank where they scored cumulatively, where their highest rank was and their lowest rank. And that's where I really became intrigued by this and more on that in just a moment. But first, regarding Devontae and top 10 production, but being absent from this list, I think it's fair to want to see him duplicate that season again. But to go back to how he made those catches and how this wasn't the first year that he did it, you see the talent and ability to do it. And if he does it again, I think there's a great chance that he is on this list next year. Now they haven't published every position yet. I imagine Byron Jones will get in there among the cornerbacks. I think X has a claim to be in there as well. But so far, there are not any Dolphins on the positions they've done so far. And I don't want to speculate a whole lot further as to what will be on there. I have opinions about who should be and maybe who could be in there this year and this time next year. But it's all about the team. It's about a collective 53 doing what they have to do to win games. So let's not be too bothered by the individual aspect of it. The point that I did want to get to and emphasize here, however was the discrepancy over the quarterback list. I think it really shines a light on how different organizations just value different things or how different organizations maybe have different criteria, both for talent, production, sample size, all the things that go into evaluating players on a college and professional level, like go to the tackle position, for instance. And that was the big outcry you saw on Twitter was the omission over of Kansas City's Mitchell Schwartz, the right tackle, who allowed the fewest pressures of any tackle in football, both in 2019 
2019 and 2018. And the best comment I saw in the midst of all this, and this came from the mentions of Ben Fennell, who we had on the podcast pre-draft to talk about defensive backs, a great follow. I believe he's at Ben Fennell NFL. He's a savant of the entire game. He expressed how he thinks that Schwartz should have been in the top 10. And a coach replied to him, Eric Mateos, who is the O-line coach at BYU, verified on Twitter. So I know it's legit. He said, quote, many can't separate how a player looks during the job from how well the job gets done, even us coaches sometimes, end quote. And I love that self-evaluation and found it to be very interesting and how there could be so many different ways to evaluate the game. Part of what I think makes the game so much fun is the different ways that you can look at it. And from a scouting perspective, it makes sense, right? Find the guy with the best traits and then trust your coaches to get his technique right. And so at quarterback, this is where I wanted to come full circle here, where I was most fascinated. Mahomes' lowest ranking was fourth. Wilson's was ninth. Lamar Jackson's last year's MVP was 12th. Deshaun Watson, number 11. The list was cumulative, though, and I think that played out pretty well. I've got some disagreements, but for the most part, I thought it was pretty good. It goes Mahomes, Wilson, Rodgers, Watson, Breeze, Lamar Jackson, Tom Brady, Carson Wentz, Dak Prescott, Matt Stafford in their top 10. I always love to see how the league differs from what we might see in media or on social, whatever it might be. I think you're always going to have a little bit difference of opinion, but I just thought it was so cool to get an inside look at how teams might view these players and these positions and how they stack up against their peers. Just a different perspective on it, something unique that was really cool that ESPN did. They also had some uh, multiple votes for Matt Ryan, Big Ben, Kyler Murray, Kirk Cousins and Jimmy Garoppolo also received multiple votes. There was a couple of guys in there that had just one vote each as well. So you can check that out on ESPN. And you look over this list and the quarterbacks and just think, man, this really is the golden age for quarterback play in the NFL. I don't think there's ever been this many good quarterbacks in the NFL. And that's where we'll go ahead and close it out. And on that topic, there also has never been more knowledgeable football fans pumping out content out there. And we had Big E on the podcast on Friday from Dolphins Talk. He does some writing and video content for them. And Dolphins Talk just landed another fish, a big fish, I should say, my buddy and really smart football mind, Kevin Dern. So I wanted to drop him a big time congratulations. He is at KevinMD4 on Twitter. Give him a follow. Can't wait to see your work over there, buddy. Congrats and best of luck to you. And my final note, those of you that were with me at Locked On, you guys know my music tastes are probably compri- comprised of about 95% rock music or subgenres of rock in terms of the music I listen to. But I do like hip-hop and rap as well. And I think I played that new Kid Cudi Eminem collaboration over the weekend at least 73 times. Man, that, as the kids say, slaps. Or is it rips? I don't know. Either way, that right there is a good spot to go ahead and sign off for this Monday, July the 13th edition of the Drive Time Podcast. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Tuned In, wherever you get your podcasts from. Go ahead and leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the Dolphins at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank. They had Ray Lucas in the tank last week. The Audible Podcast with Kim and John. MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up.